0: When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Matthew 1, 18-25
1: As Joseph was filled with dread and anxious thoughts about his now pregnant wife, fiancé, all of mankind held its breath. Here, as he was, a man who followed the law and ways of God, a good man, a kind and gentle man, now being told of a miracle that happened to Mary, despite human experience and even human biology implying otherwise, such a miracle had never before been recorded in human history. And Joseph just had to believe the word of an angel in a dream? Pause and ponder that moment. Sit with Joseph in tension to believe the unbelievable, to trust the impossible. Then, like a gentle morning breeze, the Spirit of God brought peace to his, his beating heart, and calm to his racing mind. The Prince of Peace was to be born and to be raised under Joseph's roof. The King of Kings was to grow up in wisdom and stature around Joseph's table and on the benches in Joseph's, co- in Joseph's carpentry shop. Trust in the Lord in this crazy, unpredictable season, and he will bring peace into your life and your home, for that is what he does with gladness. Remember that God's plans may seem impossible and even improbable, but he will be faithful in fulfilling his promises to his children.
0: Let us pray. Father of miracles, king over all the earth. Please give us a measure of the faith you gave to Joseph. Allow the peace that surpasses human understanding to dwell richly in our hearts and homes, despite the whirlwind of change and confusion in our world. Protect the seeds of faith you've planted in our hearts and nurture the plans you have for us, the plans to prosper and stretch us for the good of those who need to know the good news of Jesus. We pray that this Advent season will be one marked by peace with your sons and daughters showing the weary world where our hope and faith lies, which is in your son. (laughs) Amen!
2: Amen! Uh, Well, hey, good morning and uh, welcome to FBC Online. I'm so glad that you're with us and a part of our worship service this morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to say welcome and also uh, it is good to be back with you after several weeks away. We've been able to hear Pastor Lee and Pastor Kyle preach. We heard from uh, Andre, as he preached one morning, it was just such a joy to be able to to step away for paternity leave and, and know that these faithful men were going to be preaching from God's Word and encouraging you. So it was a great encouragement uh, to me to have them do that, and I trust that you enjoyed it as well. And thank you also for just your, your love, your prayer, your support in this special time for our family, uh, welcoming a new baby into the world. So uh, we we love you. We are so grateful for you, your love, your support, your encouragement, and now it's good to be back here with you. Uh, We're continuing this morning uh, in our sermon series in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, so go ahead and open up with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 4. As we uh, are nearing the end of this sermon series we've called Onward, where we've been walking through this book of the New Testament, figuring out Uh, how it can help us follow Jesus faithfully as we look out ahead into the future. I want to start by just reading the passage uh, for us from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 is where we will begin. It says this, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he is strongly, or excuse me, he strongly opposed our message. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, for the gift of your word and that we can, uh, as a church, uh, read your word and study it and seek to discern with, uh, with your help what it means for us and what you uh, would have us do in response. So would you uh, teach us this morning from your word? Would you speak to us? Would you correct us and challenge us and rebuke us and encourage us? Um, do your work, Lord. We come with humble hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, friends, we are just a few verses away from the end of 2 Timothy. As you can see, we're at the end of chapter 4. And our, our text for the morning, let's be honest, is not the most common place you might turn for comfort or encouragement. Okay? Because think about it, what did we just read? Uh, we read some closing remarks as Paul is finishing up this letter to young Timothy. He has some some personal comments, uh, talking about various people, saying, hey, when you come, uh, bring my coat with you when you come to visit. Uh, I mean, 2 Timothy 4.13 is nobody's life verse. You know, no one's like, hey, what's, what's your life verse? You know, just a verse that really means the most to you. Well, 2 Timothy 4.13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left. You know, it just, it speaks to me. You know, no, nobody says that. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, we, we come across these comments at the end of this letter. And sometimes we breeze past them. We kind of wrap up quickly. We're not sure what to glean from these words, especially after we've seen uh, so many powerful verses and, and truths in this letter so far. I mean, think about these, these rich passages with rich, deep theology that encourages us. Passages like uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, where Paul says, what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We say, wow, this big theme in the letter of 2 Timothy, Paul calling Timothy to persevere in the faith, to guard the gospel, to teach what is true, to pass on these truths of salvation uh, by grace through faith in the work of Jesus and his cross. Encouraging words. Or we look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, where Paul says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Like a good soldier of Jesus. Have this, this singular focus and commitment to serving God above all else. And endure suffering, he says. And that's actually a theme we saw a lot throughout the book. There's going to be suffering and challenges, but you need to endure, stay the course. It's worth it. "Oh, it's encouraging." Or we look at Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse 14. It says, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Remember chapter 3 saying, things are going to get crazy, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned. Remember the holy scriptures, which make you wise for salvation, and all is God breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting. And so, uh, do you see, we've, as we just briefly looked at the book, And some of the main themes, these rich themes of guarding the gospel, preaching what is true, persevering amidst suffering, staying the course, trusting God's word, even when things get crazy. And now, hey, could you bring my coat with you when you come to visit? You know, it's not exactly the exclamation point on the end of the book that we'd expect or that we'd want, but these closing remarks are here for a reason, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is God-breathed, it says. All scripture is useful. So there's something here for us this morning to to learn in the text. And so we're going to jump into it, fully trusting that God is speaking to us. Uh, Through these personal comments, there's actually a lot we can learn about life and about ministry. And the first takeaway is that we should prepare for opposition, Okay, we can prepare for opposition. Look with me at verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, uh, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Or uh, we could skip ahead to verse 14. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. So, Paul here is writing to Timothy, and he knows that his time is short. He's nearing his death, and so he says, Hey, Timothy, come to me quickly. Hopefully, Timothy can arrive before the winter when travel really shuts down, and they'll be able to see each other one last time before Paul faces his death. But then in these comments, you see, he also speaks to some of the challenges and the opposition that he faces. Demas, in verse 10, has deserted him because, what, he loved This world. We don't know if that means Demas left the faith or simply abandoned Paul and his friendship and his ministry. But either way, he preferred the comforts and the pursuits of the world in some sense over the things of the kingdom and ministry with Paul. So we have desertion. And then in verse 14, what do we see? Oh, Alexander, this metal worker, did Paul a great deal of harm. Verse 15, he opposed the message of the gospel. So here we have the simple truth that following Jesus will bring opposition. We should prepare for it. We should prepare for things to be lonely at times, for people to desert us at times or no longer serve alongside us. I know I can look back at my life and see uh, many people that used to uh, be in relationship with me or used to follow Jesus, it, it seems that they have walked away. that They no longer care about uh, the things of God or people have uh, followed Jesus but just elsewhere and no longer have meaningful relationship with them. And then we all know that sometimes people will just oppose the truth, want nothing to do with Jesus, actively work against Uh, Christians and the gospel, like this uh, Alexander fellow here in verse 14. And so I'm simply pointing this out so that we can have the right expectations. Because today it seems like, honestly, a lot of us get surprised when people oppose the gospel, or we get surprised when people are maybe less than friendly towards Christians or towards the church, We get surprised when Governor Newsom or other uh, public figures are less than helpful or uh, don't speak super fondly of Christians. And we can get surprised or offended or our feathers ruffled. But I want to point this out in the text that we should uh, prepare for opposition, expect it, so that when it comes we're not surprised and we're not easily offended. There's a great book called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen, who writes, essentially his thesis is that Christians should be the most refreshingly unoffendable people on a planet that seems to spin on an axis of offense. Isn't it true that we're so quick to get offended, to get outraged, uh, to go on social media and get angry about something? We see that all over the place. But what if Christians instead prepared for opposition, knew that it was coming, expected it so that we could respond calmly, reasonably, charitably. Now, I'm not saying that we will be immune to challenges or that opposition will not be difficult. That that won't hurt us. It, It may hurt. But if we expect it, if we prepare for it, then we can respond properly with grace and love, compassion, and I think the key to doing this, we see in verse 14. What does verse 14 say about Alexander? It says, the Lord will repay him for what he has done. And so I think this, Paul is able to really clearly say, hey, vengeance and judgment and administering justice, that belongs to the, the Lord. So uh, when we've been wronged, it's not our job to get even It's not our job to meet someone on the level they're at. It's not our job to uh, be harsh in return. What is our job? Our job is to love. Our job is to forgive and trust that the Lord will repay uh, people for what they've done. Meaning God's going to sort all of that out. You don't have to be judge and jury. God will take care of that. And so that frees you from that. You can trust in God's mercy and his wisdom to sort all that, and do what is right. And friends, it takes humility to admit that we don't have the authority or the wisdom to execute perfect justice. We don't have the wisdom to deal out judgment and justice, how it needs to be handled. You know, Sam Crabtree, this author, wrote, the doorway to joy is opened by putting to death a spirit of entitlement. Let's say that again. The doorway to joy is opened by putting to death a spirit of entitlement. So if we put to death entitlement, you know, I'm not entitled to get even. I'm not entitled to revenge. I'm not entitled to an explanation even. I'm not entitled to, to comfort and ease of life. If we can put that to death, we'll find joy because we'll be able to leave Uh, judgment and and vengeance and justice in the hands of God, where it belongs. And so friends, we can, uh, like Paul, prepare for opposition. There's more here. And jumping around slightly, I want you to see what he says in verse 13. He says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. So back to that coat we were talking about. It just warms my heart to think about him bringing a coat to his friend. Again, small detail, but a takeaway here from this verse is that we should prepare not only for opposition, but prepare for more ministry ahead. It says, my coat, my scrolls, okay, winter is coming. That makes sense. But with these scrolls and parchments, There's significance here. The parchments he refers to likely were these groups of uh, papyrus sheets that had probably a cover of some kind. So it was a a form of an ancient book, basically. And we don't know exactly what these scrolls and parchments contained, possibly official documents or maybe portions of the New Testament or some personal correspondence writing tools. Uh, It's hard to say exactly But what is clear is that Paul had intentions with these items. Even in his final days, he had plans to be useful in ministry. He was preparing to do more, to study, to teach, to to write to others. And so these documents had a significance for ministry. So do you see how, how focused Paul was on more ministry ahead, even though his days were numbered? who is focused on the calling that Jesus placed on his life. And friends, this, I think, sometimes is foreign to our mentality or our approach sometimes. It's say, well, one day I'm just going to sit back and take it easy and retire and go on vacations, or once I reach a certain age, I'm not going to have much to do with the church. I won't have much to contribute any longer to God or his kingdom. But Paul doesn't view it that way at all. Paul says, No, I'm prepared to serve and make an impact until my dying day. So bring me the parchments, bring me the scrolls, bring me that code. I, I got work to do. You know, I read of this uh, fascinating study that was uh, conducted and explained by professor and author Atul Gawande. And he wrote about this doctor overseeing a nursing home that had this idea to bring to the nursing home uh, animals, dogs, and pets, uh, cats, birds, rabbits that would be cared for by the residents. And he said it was amazing to watch what happened when they, these residents now had the responsibility to care for these pets. He said people that they thought couldn't speak, began to talk and speak. He said people were coming to life in ways they hadn't seen in years. People that were isolated and kept to themselves started talking, started coming out to the reception desk, to the nurse saying, hey, can I take that dog for a walk? Uh, A drug use in the facility or the need for medication dropped by nearly 40%. Death in the community dropped by 15% those remarkable results. And so they reflected on this case and said, why the change? Like, why was this such a powerful example? And the doctor concluded by asking, he was asking, why simply existing, why being merely housed and fed and safe and alive seems empty and meaningless to us? What more is it? that we need in order to feel that life is worthwhile. The answer is that we all seek a cause beyond ourselves. So you see, the the residents of that nursing home found a cause beyond themselves, found meaning and, and purpose and service that they could offer and contribute. And so friends, if you are a part of the church, this church or Any church, your purpose, your cause to contribute to is far greater than caring for birds and pets, as special as that may be. You have the privilege of walking with God and knowing God and making an eternal impact in the lives of men and women and children and families that will uh, echo and, and ripple into eternity. What an encouragement this can be to us and to our older saints, our older generations. You have a wealth of wisdom, of life experience, of love that you can share with younger generations, that you can meaningfully contribute to the life and health of this church and our impact in the community. And let me just say, from day one, I've been so impressed with the people of FBC, especially our older generations. You men and women that have gone before us, uh, you have set an example of faithfulness, of generosity, of godliness, of humility, of love. I'm so proud to think that you call this church your home. And you have so much to offer. And so I want to encourage you to prepare for more ministry. As long as you have breath, there is work that God has for you to do. And so I want to encourage you to think about uh, who can you encourage? Who can you support? How can you use your gifts to help this church thrive and reach our community and love people in the name of Jesus. So, friends, take a second as you're watching this online. Engage over here in the chat for just a moment. Uh, what's a ministry that you're excited about participating in in the future? Would you Would you share just right now? Take a second to type in the chat. Is there a gift that you have that you're excited to use? Is there a certain opportunity that you're excited about as you want to bless other people? A skill that you have, something you want to contribute to the community, a ministry that you're excited about, in the chat right now, just type out if there's something that you're like, I'd love to do this, or I'd love to use this gift, or here's how I think God's leading me. We'd love to hear from you and see the ways God has gifted you. You can just take a second to do that right now. So prepare for opposition, prepare for more ministry. And there's a third piece here, prepare for reconciliation. want you see this in the text, look with me again at verse 11. It says, only Luke is with me, so get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. You know, as Paul tells Timothy, hey, go get Mark and bring him with you when you come to visit me because he's helpful to me in ministry. Well, think about this. Who was Mark? Well, this was uh, John Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark and ministry companion, leader in the early church. But realize things were not always smooth between Paul and Mark. You can read about this in Acts chapter 15. They actually had a pretty significant disagreement and falling out. In Acts chapter 15, if you go and take a look at it, Paul Uh, And Barnabas had their ministry plans disrupted uh, because there was this sharp disagreement. Basically, what happened was Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along in their ministry endeavors. But Paul, our beloved brother Paul, didn't like that. He was like, I don't want to bunk with that guy. Do you know how loud he is when he chews his food? He snores. I don't want to spend time near that guy. We can't bunk together. No, send him away. I can't stand that guy. And they, and they can't work it out. This is early church drama here, people. They, they can't work it out. And so Barnabas says, well, well, fine, then I'll take Mark, and we'll go off to Cyprus. And then Paul says, well, fine, I'll take Silas, and we'll go elsewhere. Seriously, real drama here going on in the early church. And we don't know all the details exactly, but, but Mark and Paul both loved Jesus, but had enough disagreement that they couldn't work together at The time. But now, look here now, in 2 Timothy chapter chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, hey, when you come, I want you to bring Mark. I want you to bring him because he's useful to me in ministry. He contributes to what we're doing. We are going to work together. And so there must be, uh, or have been, some kind of reconciliation, right? Some kind of working through their differences over the years, coming alongside one another, and that can be an encouragement to us this morning. Because sometimes within the church, within Christian circles at large, we have our differences, and we have maybe different ways we view certain things, Uh, you know, secondary issues. We can even have falling out with different folks or separation uh, or distance from our brothers and sisters But friends, this is an an encouragement that we should strive for unity. And sometimes in our ultra-individualized society, we don't see the need for reconciliation. We can kind of go the Lone Ranger Christian route. Well, it's just me and Jesus, so I don't need people. Or we've maybe been burned before. We've had a bad experience in churches in the past. And rather than, than working through some of those things, we just choose to leave or we choose to not open ourselves up again to community out of fear of being hurt again. But friends, uh, reconciliation is a beautiful thing that glorifies God, that shows the power of the gospel in our relationships, that can be a, a significant witness to the watching world about how we as Christians can be different, how we can handle relationships and forgive and so we, we see this in Paul and Mark. There was this reconciliation. They worked it out. And we also see hope for reconciliation in the gospel. I mean, think about what is at the heart of our faith, the message we proclaim. It's all about reconciliation and forgiveness. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For he himself is our peace This is Paul writing in Ephesians about the good news of Jesus. And he says, hey, there were these these ethnic racial barriers in the early church between Jews and Gentiles. That was a significant challenge that the church had to navigate. Jews and Gentiles seeing themselves equally and as unified as one church. There was hostility between the two groups. But it says in Christ, the two have been made one. And so it is today that any social, uh, racial, economic barriers that keep people apart are brought down, and in Christ, we form one new family. We have an identity as the people of God that transcends any and all barriers that otherwise might separate people. That's a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be about, the one new family of God. And not only are we reconciled to one another, but verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 2 just said what? That we together are reconciled to God through the cross. And so through the work of Jesus, we've been reconciled to the God who loves us through the cross. Jesus died on the cross in our place. Took our sin and our shame upon himself so that we could be forgiven, our sins could be paid for. He would sacrifice himself so that we could be welcomed home, adopted into the family of God. And so the gospel holds amazing power to reconcile us to God and then to reconcile us to one another because we've been forgiven, we've been shown mercy. We've been extended grace. We, likewise, can go and with changed hearts can offer forgiveness, can in in humility offer mercy, in humility extend grace towards others. Even when we've been wronged, even when other people don't deserve it, in our opinion, we can extend it. And so, friends, two questions. First question, have you been reconciled to God? Have you sought forgiveness for your sins? Have you received the gift of salvation that can only come through the work of Jesus Christ? Jesus invites you to repent and believe, to put your trust in him, to today become a child of God, forgiven, cleansed, renewed, given a new heart and a future. And if you have been walking with Jesus, I ask you this second question. Is there someone that you need to be reconciled to? Is there someone that you've had a falling out with? Is there a re- relationship in your life that's been strained or severed? What steps can you take to mend it? Like Paul and Mark here, there was a split a disagreement but we're reminded that there's hope for reconciliation. What's a step that you can take to to bring peace, healing, unity? Maybe you need to pick up the phone today and make a call. Maybe in humility you need to ask for forgiveness. And maybe in humility you need to extend forgiveness. So friends, in these few short verses, we see so much. Not just some throwaway lines to skip past, but we see reminders to prepare for opposition, to prepare for more ministry ahead, and to prepare for reconciliation. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word, and that uh, you have shown us what is true. And Lord, we ask for your help. We pray that you would first draw us to yourself, help us trust in you, and rest in you, and find salvation in you and you alone. I pray for anyone here today who has not put their trust in you, that they would take this moment now to say, Jesus, today I turn from my sin. I want to repent, and I want to follow you forever. Thank you. Lord Jesus, would you give us wisdom as we seek to follow you into the future, as we prepare for opposition, as we prepare to step into the good works you have prepared for us, as we prepare to demonstrate the gospel through how we forgive and love and serve one another. Lord, would you help us for your glory and our good. It's In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church. We're going to
3: end our time together this morning singing Rejoice as we anticipate the birth of our Lord and Savior. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice give ye heed to what we say Jesus Christ is born today ox and lamb before him bow. He is in the manger now. Christ was born today. and voice now ye hear of endless bliss jesus christ was born for this he has opened heaven's door and man is blessed forevermore christ was born was born to save The birth of our Savior.